Anderson, the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. On a Friday here from the Penny Dome, Mike Gallagher alongside Voice of Luck, Jay Sandoz. Jay along shortly. He's strolling in as we speak. We'll talk some men's basketball, women's basketball, football today. Early signing day in segment number three. Kind of a historical look at what ETSU has done and what they did this year, which was, at least surprisingly to me, not as much as they've done in years past, but there is some reasoning behind that. Jay Sandoz knows that reasoning, is in tune with all of the happenings, and we'll break it down as we'll also talk about the two signings that ETSU did have, and we'll also do bold predictions because, for me, it's been a good thing. Actually, for you, it's been a pretty good thing as well. It's been fine. Yeah. It's been good. I'm actually surprised how well we've done so far. I mean, it's only two out of, like, eight, but... I usually start off on fire, I come in late, and then pull off uh, the come-from-behind win, spin the MO, or the come-from-behind tie, if you will, and then come-from-behind win. Uh, but since I won, pretty much that means I won the carryover, so to me, I'm 2 up. So that's that's how that goes. So, yeah, I did talk to Coach Sanders. We'll get into that third segment, but I did spend um, some time asking uh, and just going over just a lot of different scenarios about football in general. Let's just say there's a strategy behind it. There is, there is, and, I'm, you know, we'll – We'll see how it, uh, how it plays out one way or another. Um, let's talk a little bit. What do you want to go? Men's first, you said? Yeah, let's do it. All right, ETSU men's basketball. A couple of wins uh, and a situation where they were able to gut out one against Gardner-Webb. Saw a career day from David Sloan uh, where he had 18 points, seven assists. And then yesterday, sort of the uh, – or last night, Thursday night, the get-right game, if you will. ETSU uh, stepping down a little bit in competition and – was able to do what other Division One teams have done against uh, Columbia International, on par with Mercer, Liberty, um, Citadel, and others. Where they were beating them by an average of 42 points. ETSU won by exactly 42 points, and it really got off to a 13-0 start. Ladarius Brewer was on fire early, finished with a game on 19. We saw the change in the starting lineup. Thought Coach may do that. Um, talked to him a little bit before um, the Gardner-Webb game and said if he felt like the offense wasn't going, he was going to make a slight tweak to the lineup. That slight tweak was Damari Monsanto in the starting lineup, Sorrell Smith coming off the bench, and both guys responded with 11 points. They combined for 22. I'd say if you get 22 out of those guys every night, you'll take it. Yeah, no doubt it worked for both of them. I don't think there was any doubt that Thursday night was going to work, quote-unquote, for everyone in blue and gold and some nice even minutes across the board. I mean, 10 guys play between 18 and 22 minutes, and then you got Merrell Schramm and my favorite moment of the night, the Jordan Coffee baked-in three from the right side, which I'm quite sure that he called. Uh, mail does get delivered on Thursday nights at Freedom Hall, and that was a bomb from long range. And I wish that there were people in the building because you know that he's a fan favorite. You know that everyone loves when – Really, any walk-on gets in, but especially a local walk-on, somebody that's near and dear to Northeast Tennessean's hearts. And so, unfortunate that he didn't get the moment for the crowd to erupt, but I know looking over at his bench that he, he really enjoyed that because they were fired up for him. Really, right when Morrell and Jordan got in, it was everybody up. Let's get these guys a mask, and every touch should be going to them. So that was fun. I was also amazed how quick he went to Twitter to to call out Bo Hodges to let him know that he did call Glass. <laughs> so it was amazing to me how quick he got to his phone and was able to get that out. That uh, even he had fun with it, and that's it is something that you know you you like to see. Those guys put in tons of hours to be the scout team to to make their team better. Pretty hours. They they know. They're not going to get in. They're not going to do this. They just want to be with the team, you know, doing what they can. And the truth is because 
Last year, you had Ladarius Brewer. You had Damari Monsanto. Think about this. You had Darius Brewer, Damari Monsanto, right? Last year, you had a seven-footer and Octavian Corley. And then you look at Jordan Coffin, you know, and then usually, you know, an assistant coach or a GA or something like, you know, people forget Frank Davis is the all-time, I think, three-point uh, shooter in Tennessee Tech history would be on the scout team. And sometimes if they really needed to score, B.J. Mackey would be on the scout team. So I think our scout team last year did an outstanding job with some of the studs that they had to give ETSU a good look. And I think that is sometimes not talked about when you set up teams. And I think Jordan Coffin is one of the reasons the last couple of years because he does give teams a good look and he does play hard. And I think Morell uh, Schramm's the same thing. I think Ish Valdez, who, who cannot play this year. Uh, Eric Hansick, also a guy that's talented, can't play this year. But those guys also help give a look. And I think that's a, the, the one difference with Coach Forbes, how he uses his – walk-ons is to try to figure out how can I put together a good scout team. And I think that's interesting because I, not to say, you know, Ed DeCellis or Coach Bartow and those only two other coaches I've worked with that had walk-ons. As far as basketball, theirs was like, you know, hey, maybe if something happens, I can get this guy in the game. And it's not that we've seen Coach Ford before play a guy like Stetson Moore or somebody that if he needed a guy, he's not afraid to put the walk-ons in. But really, they're there to help give a look. And so to get those guys an opportunity for once or twice a year to get in the game, I think, special. No question. I'd like to go back to Tuesday because that's the game I think that will really be the enduring memory from this week for ETSU men's basketball. Of course, they did schedule another non-division one opponent for tomorrow. I don't know how much you want to talk about Lee University. I don't have a whole lot out of it. I will give this and then we'll stop okay. talking about it. This is all I'm going to give. They were 22-7 and seven last yeah. year. They've only been up at Division two level for, I think, it was six or seven years. Like ETSU, they qualified for the NCAA tournament. Now, Lee, it would have been their first ever Division II appearance. So I feel sorry uh, for those guys. They did not play a Division I opponent last year. They've only played one this year at a powerhouse West Florida. They did lose that game. That's the only game they played this year back on December 12th. Other than that, we'll see Lee on Saturday. That's pretty much it. That's all you got. I have to say. ETSU did exactly what they needed to do last night. They got out to a great start. Ladarius Brewer was looking extremely confident. He's got six double-digit scoring games in a row to start a year. That's the first man since T.J. Cromer to start a year with six consecutive in 2016-17. And look, he also did it in 2015-16. Um, but he had a huge start to the year and a number of bucks of extra. I actually looked back at that stat and was expecting, like, oh, man, maybe it's been, like, six or seven years. No, there's been Jalen Riley did it, and there's a couple other guys. that There were some volume scores back in the day oh that could get it done. I mean, it's, like, four or five guys in the last uh, seven, eight years, but no one since T.J. Cromer, so Darius Brewer joined some uh, pretty prestigious Buccaneer company. Uh, but Tuesday, so I really don't want – we don't need to break down the game or anything that much because fans have had time to digest it and go through it and now watch an entire other game against the 91 in Columbia International. Uh, but I really was interested to hear the comments of Jason Shea and David Sloan afterwards. And firstly, it was phenomenal to see Sloan get going, 18 points and 7 assists, one of just six Buccaneers to reach those marks over the last seven years in the same game. Uh, Shea attributed the offensive success to sharing the basketball, you know, moving it, getting paint touches. That's something that he has harped on with you on the coaches' show in post-game interviews and pre-game interviews. Trust each other. Start working together. Last night, Jamari Monsanto started talking about it a little bit as well, that he feels like the team is really – starting to come together. Jason Shea said the same thing. Now, it's easy to say after a 91. I get that. But when you have those type of games, and this is why you're so into these type of games this year, you really can develop some of that camaraderie. You know, when you see success with someone, you can look to them after the game and say, hey, that, that worked pretty well. Why don't we keep doing that? And 
the floor is a little bit more open. You're free to move around. There's not as much ball pressure. It's not as quality of an opponent. All of those things are true, but this is why you like these 91 games this year is because there's going to be opportunities for a team that hasn't played together a whole lot to gel and to have that benefit them in what is just now 12 days against Western Carolina and hopefully on Tuesday against Alabama. But I thought Sloan's comments were interesting on Tuesday because he fully admitted on the postgame show when you were talking to him that he just hasn't been very confident. He's been down on himself. And, and I'm not sure why that is. I think that it's a good thing to me because I think if you look at his play for the first you know, three games of the year, Gulf Coast Showcase, and the fourth game of the year, UAB, um, would you like to see a little more out of him? Sure. But if you looked up and down the roster, I don't think anyone would pinpoint David Sloan as an issue. You had Sorrell Smith shooting 20%. And DeMar Monsanto not quite coming into his own yet. And Ty Brewer, there was some head-scratching performances there. Wasn't really shooting the ball well from outside after that big first half against Austin P. There was a lot of things that you could look at and break down and say, boy, this just absolutely has to be better. But David Sloan w- was really one of your rocks, him and Ladarius Brewer. Uh, but he was saying that his standards are higher and that he needs to do better. And that, to me, is a great sign because that's someone that wants to succeed. Right, he's been at three different colleges now, a variety of different levels. And, you know, he went to John A. Logan, then went to Kansas State, and now here at ETSU, all distinctly different fields. So he's done an excellent job, I think, of emerging from an early season funk. And he said that calls to his family have helped. And that's such an interesting perspective, especially this year, because with the way that things are with COVID, with the fact that there's no fans in the building, you, you don't think about the mental side for an athlete a whole lot, but mentally – Something that's come up here and there, sure, and, and you know, conversations regarding athletics and you know the mental health conversations are evolving always. But when it comes to confidence on and off the court, and you know you don't hear the fans cheering for you, right? It's your guys on the sideline that you expect that from them. Um, you're not able to you know maybe see your family or friends as much and get that boost from them. So he said calls back to family have really helped, and they've told him to be more aggressive. Whenever I watch him, I think he's playing extremely aggressive, but. Um, I think it was great to see and for him to recognize that he can do better, wants to do better, really wants to rise to the occasion for this team that, quite frankly, needs someone to rise to the occasion on the offensive end. I think Sloan, it it is interesting the way he talked about that, and, you know, it's probably not my story to tell, but he had a personal tragedy, so on top of COVID and everything else, you know, he's talked a lot with the family and trusting them, and to hear – a guy that you would assume as a point guard not maybe be as confident. I don't know if that's the – it didn't go into it. Is it the system? Is it the teammates? Is it just new? Is it just dealing with a lot on his plate or whatever it was? But he certainly talked about his lack of confidence and what it meant to talk. And to me, when, you know, you get a guy that can start spreading the ball around at the point, I think that's better. The other thing is, as you saw when he got a couple assists early, then, the, then he had to sit with foul trouble, if you remember. But the Bucks were able still to pick up several assists after he got out of the game. Then he comes back in, and I think he accounted for 81% of the scoring in the second half, and include his points and the points off his assists. Pretty assist. crazy so it, it, it's really incredible. But in the last two games, you're starting to see the assist numbers grow and be well over – you know, 60%, 70% of the points coming off assists. And I think that's something that was great about last year's team, the unselfishness, the extra pass, things are going. And so I think that's that's going to help. I think defensively, too, I think he's starting to get better as well. You know, it's let's be honest, I don't know 
that he can get to Tisdale level. Matter of fact, I'm going to say I'm pretty sure he can't get there. That's a pretty elite level. I mean, it's he he was one of the best in turn in his junior year. You're thinking, boy, Isaiah Tisdale can really guard. His senior year, it was incredible. I mean, I don't know who else you'd want to Isaiah Miller. Maybe that's it. Is that the short list? I mean, those two guys defensively, and that's it. And uh, watching them two go at it defensively was was actually some of the best matchups all year. I mean, Tisdale ended up besting him by taking the charge down at UNCG and ended up getting Wesley Miller out of the game and all that good fun stuff. But I, I really like fun. where David Sloan is. I like the way that he is spreading the ball, how he's getting the team, you know, kind of taking ownership as the point guard to go. Last night was interesting because they, they kind of went team A, team B, and I think that's more just because of how the game was. But it was also about let's make sure everybody's getting about 20 minutes each and let's try to figure out, you know, what's going to happen. Now, it probably it'll be a step – Lee's going to be a step up. But Gardner-Webb, it seemed like when it got to the point where ETSU had kind of struggled in a couple of tight games where they struggled against Rap- or Rapford, Austin Peay, excuse me, and when they struggled against um, UAB, they were able to kind of overcome that in Gardner-Webb. And because they were able to overcome and get some of those plays to go ETSU's way, then you saw Gardner-Webb not be able to make plays when they needed to make plays down the stretch. But defensively, I think ETSU is exactly, you know, again, I, impressive. I mean, Gardner-Webb holding the 60. They scored 85 against uh, Western Kentucky. I mean, they, they basically uh, they got over 60 against Pitt, but they also went 0 for 19 to start the game and didn't score a field goal for the first 12 minutes of action. So if you take that in place, so I, I think ETSU defensively is there. Can they get what they got last night? And again, it was a step-down competition. We get it. We don't want to overhype that. But in the same token, like, it's good for Smith to see the ball go through the hoop. Monsanto see the ball go through. How about Richard Amafle? Did His two drives from outside the arc, and one was a spin move off the glass. I had no idea he had that in his arsenal. But it looked smooth. It was unbelievable. I thought the uh, most important four-minute stretch, and then we can move on, but Tuesday is just standing out in my mind still. I thought the important four-minute stretch and the one that you saw from these first, you know, three or four weeks that I think will really endure over time. It's 13:33 left to go in the second half against Gardner Webb. It's 39 to 37. ETSU has the lead. Ladarius Brewer picks up a foul, has to sit. Then Damarian Williams hits a three, and you start to kind of sit back in your chair and look at what's on the floor for ETSU and the lack of success that pretty much everyone except for Ladarius Brewer has had offensively this season, and you tense up a little bit. But the fact that the Bucks not only held their own but were able to make a run without him on the floor. Richard Amafle had a couple of free throws. Ty Brewer made his first three since that Austin P game. Uh, then he made a layup on the fast break after the steal by, by Monsanto. And then Marcus Nyblack makes a three. Uh, that 10-0 run was huge. The first two minutes after Ladarius Brewer went off the floor. And Gardner-Webb recovered a little bit, but Ladarius comes back on with 9.18 left to go. And over those four minutes, the Bucks were because they're up 39 to 37 but plus four and that big 10 nothing run to at one point be up nine that group really came together the youth that had struggled the experience on the floor as well that had struggled i mean ty brewer has scuffled right until that point you know david sloan because much of his production uh, on tuesday came in the second half of that game he had struggled to be that explosive score be that second score that etsu has needed and i still don't think we know who it's going to be. I think Tamari Monsanto, you told your post game, felt a real confidence boost yesterday when he saw his name in the starting lineup. He says, you know, I've been putting in the work, and Coach Shea, you know, he, he's 
noticed it, and he's given me this chance, and Damari made the most of it, but for those not named Ladarius Brewer to come together and go on that 10 nothing run, I, I thought it was the defining moment of the game. I hope that it ends up being one of the defining moments of the season, because if so, that means this team has come together and is able to work effectively and efficiently without Ladarius Brewer on the floor, which is not something we've seen a whole lot in these first six games. And it was the best, Hank, it was the best job of taking care of the basketball of any half this season, just two turnovers in the second half against Gardner-Webb after having ten in the first half. And I think starting to see younger guys, Marcus Nyblack, a couple others, Jamari Monsanto not throwing the ball, some of those young guys making passes they probably got away with in high school, maybe got away with in some AAU games. And even though they play AAU and you'll hear a couple of freshmen, well, it's nothing different in AAU. Yes, it is. Stop it. It is because not everybody on the AAU team that you're playing is at the level that you're at right now, at the Division One level. And when you go play Alabama, I assure you, you didn't play any AAU team that had 12 guys like that, 13 guys running around. So it, it, it's interesting that when you talk to some of the freshmen about it, Richard Moffley was one of them where he was like, ah, it's just like an AAU game. Well, you got zero points in a couple games. Did, did you have zero points in the AAU game? I bet you did. So I think ETSU did a good job of not just taking care of the basketball, crisper passes, not lazy passes. Now, again, I know Gardner-Webb didn't ball pressure as much. It wasn't full-court press. wasn't some other things going on. But I think where ETSU really drove me crazy early was just careless passes that were lazy enough that people weren't trying to go for the steal but ended up getting the steal because it was not a good pass. There was also miscommunication. One guy thought you're going one way, you threw it the other way, and it goes out of bounds. You're starting to see some of that stuff get cleaned up. And I think Sloan made the good comment, like, hey, you know, if you don't turn it over, you know, we get a shot up, you know. And he said, I'm talking to the younger guys about a shot's better than a turnover because at least you have a shot to score, you have a shot at a rebound. If you turn it over – you lose it, right? And it's an empty possession. You don't get a chance back. So it was interesting to hear Sloan talk in his post game about talking because I asked him about being a, sort of a leader to some of the younger players. And, you know, and I think some of the younger players are, are – the team's starting to take shape. You know, Ladarius has, I think, established himself. He's the guy, you know, yes. number one. We thought he would be the guy, honestly. If we had to predict before the no, season, no. we thought he'd be the guy. He yeah. is the guy. Now – you're starting to see, okay, Salas Hideki's giving you a bunch of stuff defensively and rebounding maybe we weren't sure about. Bonnie Patterson does stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet as far as defensively and making sure his guy doesn't get a rebound and doing some other things vocally to get guys in the right spot. You're starting to see David Sloan, you know, kind of run the team the way he's supposed to, and now can some of the younger or newer guys step up and make some plays. So the team's starting to take shape, work in progress. We knew it would be this way. I still had no doubt even after the first game, and some people were losing their minds, and when they got the conference play, this would this would be coming around. You know, Now, the question is still, defensively, there's, if they can continue what they're doing defensively all year, ETSU will be in a lot of games because defense will keep you in it. The question is, can they take a good offensive performance versus a step down in competition? Can they get an offensive performance versus a step down in competition? Then can they implement that versus you know, probably the biggest competition until they get to league action in Alabama? We're going to have a podcast on Monday, right? Or Tuesday, whatever. Okay. Uh, well, I'll save my question on how you feel about two non-new ones going into a power five that can be saved for another time. But don't want to overlook Monty Patterson and his effort on Tuesday either, by the way, this past Tuesday, because he put in some big minutes on the offensive end, important quality minutes, and he seems like he might be starting to come around as well. If you can get – I don't even need ten a game from Monty Patterson. I mean, give me six. 
six or seven every night. Same with Silas Sadeke because you know, he had the double-double recently in second of his collegiate career. They're guys that are stepping up that you wouldn't expect that kind of offensive production from every night. But if you can get ten one night from one of them, that means Adeke, um, Patterson, and even looking down the roster a little bit more, Amafale, Harris, or Nyblak. Now, we haven't seen that from them yet. But if you can get eight, nine, ten from one or two of them a night, and that's out of five guys, uh, I think that's going to go a long way towards filling those scoring gaps that were left by the top eight scorers not being in the program from last year. Yeah, to- totally agree. And so, ETSU Saturday, we'll see what they can do. See what they can do. Um, non-D1. And we'll Lee University. And it's not Washington and Lee. It's not Lee's McCray. It's Lee University. It is in the state of Just Tennessee, in case you didn't know. Austin Harris hometown, I believe. Yeah. There's a connection. So, all right, we'll step aside for a time. Let's talk ETH women's basketball. They got a Friday afternoon matinee and a Sunday matinee against uh, the hated Appalachian State Mountaineers. We'll talk about the Davidson game first, and we'll talk uh, about the Sunday contest against Appalachian State. And those two teams actually played each other uh, before ETSU played. So we'll talk about that as well. A lot to talk about. ETSU women's basketball. We'll be back. Stand-up sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Palabor has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Brightridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Brightridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. in the side, Jake, besides that Halloween thing you got, the uh, spooky one we play. I'll say that for next episode. Okay, all right, good. All right, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher talking ETSU women's basketball. Four o'clock matinee on Friday. ETSU be on lovely Lake Norman, a.k.a. Charlotte, suburb of it, as the Davidson Wildcats will host ETSU women's basketball. Then Sunday, game that will be lo- aired locally on WJHL. Do we know if it's on the CBS or the ABC? ABC Tri-Cities. ABC Tri-Cities. And so uh, that game will be on 2 o'clock, uh, 2 o'clock tip time. Of course, pregame show, one thirty there. The two teams that you're going to play next for ETS Women's Basketball did play fairly recently, right, just on December 11th. Kind of a confusing result to me, too. It is, uh, although I would have liked to have seen just the mono mono matchup between Chloe Welsh, who threw 32 on the board on 13 of 17 shooting, and Price Stanley for Appalachian State, who threw 26 on the board on 13 of 16 shooting. That seemed like a game of can you top this and just everyone get out of the way and watch what happens. I remember Stanley from last year. I believe she was the one that had, like, five in the first three quarters, and she was their leading scorer for Appalachian State. That was when ETSU went up the mountain and beat the Mountaineers in uh, Boone, North Carolina. I don't remember specifically a lot about those first three quarters with Stanley, but I remember thinking going into the fourth, either A, this is too good to be true, or B, uh, this is about to come crashing down, and Stanley's going to have a huge fourth quarter. And if memory serves, and I'm looking at the box score that you just pulled up, I think she had like 17 or 19 fourth quarter points and almost led Appalachian State from behind. Um, ended up not working out, thankfully, and Shania Jackson had a big game for the Bucks against Appalachian State and ended up being able to take that one. Um, really a huge win for ETSU because at that point, their only other victory uh, was against Liberty, of course, every game I call uh, was no good. 
victory. I get dubs. Yeah, 67-61 ETSU won at Appalachian State. That was also a couple of games after Erica Haynes Overton had gone down with the knee injury and eventually would never play for ETSU again. But Stanley's really solid. And Welch is someone I talked with, uh, head coach uh, Folks, uh, down at Davidson yesterday, and she's someone that obviously the coaching staff is just in love with. Uh, up one point a game her freshman year, came in, didn't play a lot. Then eight points a game last year, kind of fit in with Susie Rose Deegan and Sarah Donovan as the leading scorers. Well, those two haven't played yet this year, and it's going to be a game-time decision on both whether they're going to see action today. When I talked to Coach about that, things made a little bit more sense because those were two players combined for a 26 game last year. Susie Rose Deegan was freshman of the year in the conference. Donovan is a four-year starter, you know, kind of the heart and soul of their team. She had a concussion back in January, still can't play. And she's a senior now, and that strikes me as with two or three months left in her senior year that she just probably isn't going to play collegiate basketball again. Really a heartbreaking story for the young woman, but a huge, huge blow for Davidson. And so if both of them are not available, things make a little bit more sense because Welch has now gone from eight points a game to 22 points a game. She's been absolutely spectacular. They love her work ethic, very coachable. She's got that runner's background. She was in cross country. And so, you know, they're kind of off in the head sometimes, right? Like just driven a little bit more than everyone else. Anybody that wants to run for no reason, long distance. Long distance. Yes, absolutely they're off in the head. Totally agree. And so she has just stepped up and risen to the occasion to the point where Coach Folks really thinks that this is a team that regardless of if they have Donovan and Rose Deegan, and it sounds like Rose Deegan, going to be back sooner than Donovan. Is it going to be today? Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it going to be in conference play in the new year? Uh, she's not quite sure, but if they have one or both or none, she feels confident about this team being able to go and win the league. So it made a little bit more sense when I looked at Davidson a little bit closer, not having their top two scores from last year, because I would have expected Davidson to win by 15 or 20 over Appalachian State. Uh, that's a team that a couple years ago, I think, went and, went and won the CIT, I believe, in the postseason. And then last year, we're a little bit more down. Um, so they've got the results you would expect this year. I believe they're 2-2, two and two, and they've lost to two teams you'd expect and beaten two teams you'd expect. Uh, but I would still expect Davidson, especially with everything they have back, because it's all but one person from their roster last year who was a marginal role player. Uh, I would have expected a, a relative blowout. But without those top two scores, all of a sudden for the mid-majors like at App State, like ETSU, this game becomes manageable. And that's what I think is encouraging going into today's matchup as I'm about to hop on the road for Well, I think the big thing for ETSU should be somewhat familiarity, right? You got a chance to play a team last year, kind of know some of the stuff they're going to do, personnel, slightly different as you've already brought up, but still, you know some of that. But to me, this game against Davidson is much more about ETSU and do they hear the gun go off? You know, can they, to use the runner term, you know, get out of the starting blocks? Because that's, that's obviously that was the difference in the last game. You know, just got off to a sluggish start, um, not able to score. You know, can they avoid that on the road? Um, you know, they go on the road and, and win at a Longwood team that was projected a little better than Presbyterian. You know, is this a team that somehow is going to be better on the road? Who knows? Uh, I thought, you know, sort of getting home, get a home game in, maybe be able to shoot the ball a little better, maybe get Lee Stafford going, maybe get a few things going. But, you know, the question is, I guess, do does if Stafford isn't going again today, if Sanders is struggling, does Micaiah Dowdell or Ja'Kai Davis or somebody try to pick up some extra shots? 
And it's kind of interesting to see Dowdell's numbers that you did a breakdown on social media the other day of and think, man, why, you know, she's kind of getting her edge academics are just kind of getting their point total as the offense is going, right? They're not forcing the issue. Is it or at some point where one of them has to go, hey, why don't you give me the ball a little bit more and let me try, uh, you know, my hand at it a little bit and, and see what happens there? Well, I think it's a difficult thing because why have they been so effective? And I should correct myself, uh, Appalachian State, the women's basketball invitation, the WBI is what they won a couple years back, but um, last year they were a little bit down, so that's going to be a very interesting game on Sunday, a game that you think that ETSU always wins, and looking back recently, it seems like, yeah, regardless of how things are going, the Bucks find a way. Um, it's interesting because they've been so efficient, right, Makai Dowdell and Ja'Kai Davis, and that's what's made them so effective. So asking them, especially a freshman, Ja'Kai Davis, right, because she's kind of letting the game come to her, working into collegiate basketball, and goodness, has she faced a wide variety of opponents uh, in her first four games. I mean, like you said, Longwood and Presbyterian, relatively similar right out of the Big South, projected middle of the league, but you've got a couple of power fives that, you know, Vanderbilt is going to probably be towards the bottom of the league in the SEC, and then you got Tennessee, who's always going to, at the very least, have a winning record in the SEC, if not contend for a conference title. A wide variety of settings. You know, you played in four different buildings. It's going to be five today. Um, throwing someone in to the fire like Ja'Kiah Davis has been thrown in, and rightfully so, right? I mean, it's the right choice. She's done excellent. Brittany Hazell saw her from day one. I think I walked in the gym day one. When you saw her, you were very impressed. There's no mistaking she is going to be a big talent in the Southern Conference as long as she is in it. She's humble, hardworking, and quite frankly is going to out-physical some people and out-skill some others. You know, she's got a large skill set that I really think is going to show through, especially in Southern Conference play, but already has really. So when you're asking someone that's already in a difficult position, I guess, an unfamiliar position, maybe a better way to put it, to go and do something totally different. Jakaya, go and find yours. Go take 15 shots a game. Like, start looking for you. There's going to be an adjustment period there. So it's a tough spot that ETSU is in because the ones that they expected to produce, at least Stafford is still struggling right now. I think shooting 22% from the field, uh, 2 of 12 in the Bucks' last game. Um, Jasmine Sanders has just not found it yet. It's going to come at some point, but she's not found it yet. It's been a number of bad games in a row. She's streaky, so hopefully there's a bunch of good games coming. Shania Jackson just hasn't gotten the minutes. I mean, you talk about the stats that we looked at last year, Jay. I hammered it on every broadcast that I did. When she plays more than 20 minutes, she is phenomenal. And the Bucks win. They were 7-5 last year when she played more than 20. 2-16 when she did. She hasn't played more than 20 this year. Part of that's foul trouble. That's what happened against Presbyterian, right? She got two early fouls. So did Micaiah. So did Jakaya. There's your three players that were hottest coming into the game, and they didn't play in the second quarter. Presbyterian was able to stabilize the ship, uh, even sustaining, you know, runs past that first quarter and keep the Bucks at bay. So when they went to the locker room, ETSU had only 15 points. It's a pretty demoralizing number to look up at. So really early on, that one was decided. If your three players can not get in that kind of foul trouble today, same with Sunday, and Makai Dowdell continues to score in the clip she is, and you can keep Shania Jackson out there and get her more than 20 minutes for the first time this year, you're going to have a good chance to win both games, but you will need more from Elise Stafford. You know, I think it's not a matter of Makai Dowdell and Ja'Kai Davis needing to do more. It's everyone around them needing to do more. And that can go the other way as well. You can argue for the opposite, but I think what's going to be easiest for this team, and it's easier said than done, of course, is if 
those that you expected to rely on are able to find their game because so far they have. What do you expect from the IS? Because you, you rattled that off uh, three in a row and gave some stuff there. What what what's a good for all three of them? Can you give me a combination of points and rebounds or something that if you added up all three of them every game, what do the IS need to give you? Kaya too. Throw Kaya in there. Let's get Kaya. Let's go the four IS. Kaya, that was a weird game for her on Saturday because that was the fewest minutes she's played in two years. It was 15 minutes, and she wasn't battling the foul trouble. And so I I don't know if maybe Coach Giselle just thought the game wasn't really fit to her or she was just frustrated with some of the things that Kaya did. You know, Kaya Kaya hasn't scored a point past the first quarter in three games. She's not that offensive. Well, and and I think obviously defensively is her thing. Absolutely. And and Presbyterian did – be able to get to gaps, get to the rim, do some other. So there was some other, not all Kaya's fault, but there were no, plenty of defensive yeah. lapses. And I wonder if, because the one thing she is going to give you is a defensive presence. Yes. And nobody really gave that defense presence. So I'm just wondering if that was maybe, hey, we need more out of you defensively, more than offensively. I'm compartmentalizing Saturday as a complete one-off thing. It's in a box over here for me, and I'm probably going to kick that box right off the ledge when I get to Davidson and just completely forget about it. I hope ETS Women's Basketball has done the same, because that's not a game I think that you can look back at and break down and say, we got to fix this, this, and this. There are tangible things that we need to go do. It was just a complete disaster. A total monstrosity. And to look back and try and pick out those details and say, this is where we need to get better, it's, it's a lost cause. There's just too many things to go back and look at. So, just take it as what it was. It was one day. It was two hours. It was an early game in front of no fans. The first one in your own building. Very odd atmosphere. There wasn't a lot of energy. And Presbyterian was coming off, what, two weeks of quarantine. You didn't know what you were going to get from them, and they played well. So just forget that game. When we're looking at what you need from those four, because I'm assuming Kai is going to be back out there 30 or 35 minutes since we are compartmentalizing that one game, um, I think you got to get eight points, five assists from her. Uh, in terms of rebounding from the other three, that's the other stat I'm going to use for them. I think if you can combine those four for 45 points and 25 rebounds, well, that's a lot of rebounds. I'm going to say it anyway, 25 rebounds. And Kai has been a great rebounder so far as well. She's been one of the top rebounders on the team, so I'm going to stick with that, 25 rebounds. And then if you can get, you know, eight, nine assists, most of those coming from Kaya, I think 45 is the number to get to because this team is going to have to score as a unit. There's not going to be somebody that's going to go out and score 20 a night, right? It's not going to be a Chloe Welch like you're going to see against Davidson. You're not going to have a pre-Stanley like you're going to see against Appalachian State. You're going to find 11, 12 points a game for a number of different people. So I think 45, Shania's got to be out there more than 20 minutes. Kaya's got to return to her 30 to 35-minute form. And you just have to crash the glass because that was the shocking thing to me was ETSU was out-rebounded by 17 against Presbyterian. So you got to get back to gang rebounding. Uh, and if you can do that um, against you know Davidson and Appalachian State, again, because Davidson's missing their top two scores, and Appalachian State, they lost by three. That's a pretty good result for them against Davidson. Um, but if you're able to do those things, I think you're going to be in good shape. Also, need to cut down the turnovers. I'm going to be a broken record on that because ETSU has turned it over more than 20 times every single game this year. They're, I think, fourth from bottom in the nation, 313 teams in most turnovers. So got to cut down on that, and a lot of that is going to be Kaya Upton and her being that floor general that the Bucks know her to be. I think ETSU, if they can just wash away, like you've said, the one-off game, 
wash away, figure out a way to get one or two of the shooters going. They need Stafford or Sanders. You know, they don't have to go 30. Need to hit some shots. That's going to, I believe, open up some things for the IS to do. I think also ETSU should try to do um, a little inside out early and try to get maybe Jakaya some looks. Or Stafford, who can drive the ball, drive, try to get to the rim, even have Kaya try to drive, get to, try to attack the rim early, try to get some points on the board, then trying to see if they can get some clean looks. It's just like with the men, what we talked about, Tamari Monsanto and Sherelle Smith. You don't need them to go from really, really struggling to – 8 to 12 from the field, 25 points, right? You just have to have Elise Stafford go from 20% to 30%. You know, hit three of your 10 shots, hit four of your 10 shots. Same with Jasmine Sanders. You know, 18 minutes a game, she's taking 34 shots. So she's taking, you know, about a shot every other minute when she's on the floor. If you can hit, you know, one or two more of those per game, it doesn't have to be this outlandish, outrageous, complete 180 where you're all of a sudden, you know, lighting the world on. The Bucks aren't going to have Courtney Moore. She is out Friday and Sunday. That hurts because she is someone that provides a lot on the defensive end, as it's turned out. She made a heck of a play against Presbyterian with, as it turned out, not a broken nose, but, yes, a concussion to run down the floor and block the ball out of bounds in a four-on-nothing right after she got that concussion like five seconds earlier. So you're not going to have her. She hasn't been good offensively so far, even though she has the ability to be. So without her... I'm not saying it's addition by subtraction right now because she brings a lot on both ends, but she was 2 for 17 from the floor. That's going to open up some more opportunities. And if instead of those 17 shots making two, can you have six or seven made of those attempts? So don't want to see her off the floor because she has unbelievable potential and certainly hoping for a... Certainly has toughness. And toughness. Hoping for a very quick recovery for her. Who is going to step up, and will they be able to do more with those touches than she has? You know, Carly Hooks, can she shoot 33% instead of 27%? Kaya, you know, we're used to her being right around 32 34%. Right now, 26% is what she's at. So just little steps from everyone. doesn't have to be a complete 180, but everybody's going to have to chip in if the Bucks are going to avoid anything close to what they had last Saturday. That game... 4 o'clock, 3.30, airtime. Mike Gallagher on the call on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Don't forget, Sunday, Appalachia State, 2 o'clock, tip time, one thirty pregame show again. Mike Gallagher on the call. Step aside for a timeout. We'll talk a little ETSU football signing day, recruiting, all that good fun stuff after this timeout. Stand up sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Somewhere out there, a math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will cost a little Somewhere out there, I hope scholarships just helped a student open the door to a brighter future. And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, life-changing fun.
Sanderson is sidekick back with you as we talk about ETSU football. We've talked basketball, basketball, men's and women's. Now ETSU football signing day, sort of, kind of, as uh, ETSU still playing. And this is the interesting part. There are some guys that are going to sign around the Southern Conference that are early enrollees that will be able to play this year and in a game, which is always interesting. Here comes, you ready? Someone check to see if I still have it. Let's get it. Fourth. transfers are on campus or will be on campus. When you're a Division One or FCS or whatever transfer, <coughs> excuse me, you only sign one NLI. That, that's all you get. So when, for a great example, when David Sloan comes from Kansas State to ETSU, he doesn't sign with ETSU. Okay? It's basically like, yes, I'm coming there. And then you're like, yes, we'll take you. We're excited. Everyone's agreed upon it. But until he shows up the first day of official class, he's technically not with you. Even if he's practicing in July, he has no, nothing holds him to anything. Similar to a couple of transfer situations with ETSU where some guys are either on campus or said they're coming on campus. Well, they say they're coming or they're here now, but that doesn't mean first day of class they will be here. So you can't really do that. Jalen Johnson is a great example. He transferred to Tennessee. He was coming to ETSU. He's ready to go. He's ready to go. Next thing you know, he shows up on Wake Forest campus, playing for Steve Forbes, and people are like, well, I thought he was with us. Well, you don't sign anything. So that there, there's some things there, too, that the quote-unquote signing of some of these guys doesn't really matter. For one of the signees, who's a junior college transfer, that I'm going to let you – I'm not going to steal your new segment. I'll let you get to it. But it is his first signing. He did officially sign because he played junior college. He wasn't at FCS or an NCAA Division level. So. Before he did that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm 
my head again. 2017, 18, 19. So here's the names that ETSU has got during, during the early signing period. Cam Lewis, Kendall Wright, Ada Adkins, Nick Vines. None of those are on the roster except for Adkins, but let's make a point to Stud. say Nate Adkins is a heck of a Stud. player. 2018, Blake Austin, DeAndre Davis, Max Evans, Jalen Friars, and Jacob Hensley. He's the only one of this group that isn't on the roster right now. And then Noah West, who I think also has the potential to be stuck. Stuck. 2019, George Odomegwu, Nolan Washan, Macho Arza, possible stud. Cade Larkins, yep. possible stud. Devin Brantley, yes. possible stud. Yes. Yeah. I, he, I, if, <laughs> if, if, if there is a guy on that list that you say you have to pick as – he will be – that is the guy I'm going to put my name to. Devin Brantley, defensive end, that's the guy. And Chandler Martin and all of those individuals still on ETSU's roster. When I say all those names, 2017, 2019, I think that's like 17 total, your letter grade for ETSU football in the early signing period. Well, I think obviously if you go to start with, if you go the first year, you've already said it, there's one guy, right, Nate Atkins, but he's a stud. So how many total were there in that class? Four, Lewis, Wright, Vines, Atkins. Oh, I think that's a solid B-plus because Atkins has given you um, key catches and key games, done a lot of things for you. Lewis technically gave you – Philosophical differences, so, I mean. So, right, he just – I want to play quarterback. Right. But when he was on the field, he made plays for each issue. So, anyways, B-plus on the first year, the next year. Austin, Davis, Evans, Frierson, Hensley, West. And a lot of those guys are going to play this year, if the, if not seeing it. A little bit last year, I, I think I think that one Jury's out maybe a little bit right now I will I would go B um, because Atkins has done more and played more con- compared to those guys, but those guys could jump up to a high level class if all those guys contribute. Something to be excited about in 2019 as well. I just think these names are going to be big contributors. Odomegwu, Washan, Arza, Larkins, Brantley, and Martin. I, it's hard not to you know even though they're not played it down, it's hard to say. Again, it's on paper, right? Yeah. I mean, to me, that, that that's an A because you have a couple of guys that are going to play this year and could play significantly. Um, you also have, when you talk with quarterbacks, right, a guy that because this year doesn't count, because he can redshirt the next year, Larkins is going to have an opportunity, and anybody that's in the class this year at any other school is going to have, but he's got an opportunity to really – sit, wait, be patient, and or play early and not count and figure it out. Um, you know, they're expecting a lot out of much of ours. I'm telling you, I think Brantley is the one guy. Odomegwu also is going to get on the field and play and, and play significant minutes and already, I believe, is in the, in the two deep from what I've seen so far. So, to me, that one that was the strongest class of them all. I mean, I think that that one's got a, got a chance to be a, an A rock star class. You mentioned the man that signed his NLI who has been at a junior college. He is actually a man that is probably more familiar to people across the country than any ETSU recruit in recent memory because he was on last chance. You give me Timmy Dorsey. Jenny. Timmy! Timmy Dorsey. Well, I'll tell you the one thing about Timmy. Uh, uh, Oakland, California, right? Is that, is that where he's from? I believe so. Yeah, he's from Oakland, I'm pretty sure. So the one thing about uh, Timmy per- Perseverance, right, some of the things that he went through and the work and the go and the last chance you, he's there for reasons. Uh, was able to straighten up his act and all that good fun stuff. But the other thing is, is not everybody there is a problem child. Sometimes there are guys that just need that extra opportunity to get a shot. The one thing they really like about him is how strong he is and can hold the line. And when you're talking about Southern Conference football, you talk about three three back offenses, right? You talk about Wofford and Furman and Citadel, and now Mercer's kind of gone back to that thing. 
who's going to be able to not give an inch and to sort of hold in Billy Taylor's 3-4, you know, sort of stacked 50 technique, if you will, who's going to be able to hold really that deep tackle spot, right? And so I think that's going to be where Timmy Dorsey's going to be able to, to can he maintain two gaps? And to do that, you got to be able to hold your ground. And I think that's what they like about him and what they saw in the film and the reason they're going to bring him in. So I wonder if you think he has a chance to play right, right away because Tron Farrell was at that position two seasons ago, uh, most of last year. You know, you're looking for a place, but Austin Rowan played a lot, and now you're in a position this year where you have so much gone on the line. It's been kind of a slow bleed, too, because first it was this year, player was gone, and then Jason and now you're looking for someone to See, fill that and, gap, and so could that be him? Right, and, 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 you know, if I had to take a wild guess, Brantley's got a shot to be sort of where Madua Fakwa was. Elijah Pinkleton's probably got a shot to be where Nasir Player is. Um, Dorsey's one of those guys because of quickness, you know, and because of some other guys they got, he could play nose or sort of that off-tackle. So, you know, they sort of go in, in that – Three, four with Billy Taylor. I don't want to bore people too much with technicality, but you look at sort of a, a defensive end like Nasir player. Then you go nose tackle. Then you go D tackle. Then you go walk up backer, and that's where Blake Bacher at that outside linebacker when they need a situation to come up. So it's a four-three look, and you have sort of a end slash backer to athletic. Then that sort of you know Jalen Porter could fill that role too. So I could see Timmy really going either way depending on how some other things go. I know one of the guys that is here now that they hope is still going to be a first class that has played another, again, we can't talk about too much, but has played somewhere else. He was a true nose at that school, depending on how he comes in, you know, and if he plays right away, he could be the nose. You could see, again, Timmy fight for that spot at the defensive tackle position. And so I think that's that's really, you know, but again, let's say he comes in, other guy's not producing. I think that's what makes Dorsey so intriguing because he was able to hold his spot and hold his line and maintain, you know, can he play nose and then hold both A-gaps? You know, to me, I think that that's one of the reasons why they brought him in. I think he was fairly high recruited um, to a lot of schools, especially schools that play against these type of offenses. And so, you know, he was getting looked from FBS from Sunbelt teams. He was getting looks from sort of AAC because those guys got to worry about Navy and some other teams. You know, Mountain West was on them because he's a West kid. They've got to play the likes of Air Force and some of the other schools that like to run the football right up the gut. So I think Timmy Dorsey for the junior college was a, was a, a good find, a good get. I think he fills a need. I think that's certainly one of the positions ETSU is trying to figure out is who is going to be on that defensive line because last year they had a solid defensive line for the four guys rotating in. But let's be honest, you need more than four guys rotating in at the defensive line. Some people may view the second ETSU signing as a bit of a surprise, Charlie Cole, running back. is a a pleasant surprise because, you know, I try to watch some of the local kids and games when when I get a chance, whether it's local coverage TV, whether I get a chance to go out to a high school stadium and watch some games. And he was one that I went to go watch specifically because, you know, he's had, I don't know, I'll make it up. He's had like 250 yards a game. I mean, it was, it was incredible some of the numbers I kept reading and reading. And I'm thinking, well, let me go watch. And I know Jeremy, Coach Jeremy Jenkins at Boone fairly well. And so I talked to him a little bit. And he was like, you'll just be impressed because you know we're going to give him the ball. They know we're going to give him the ball. There's going to be everybody trying to stop him, and he's going to be able to make runs. And so I went and watched the game. And sure enough, nine guys in a box, straight 
gleaning his way, cheating his way, all going to him, whether it was a play-action fake or not, which there wasn't many play-action fakes in that game. And then he still ran for over 200 yards that game. I mean, it was quite impressive. And he's, you know, he's 225 pounds, probably legit, and can run. And so I flat-out asked Coach Sanders, is he a guy that you will keep at running back? Could he play some fullback? Could he, you know, maybe play outside linebacker for you because he's just athletic, all these other things? And he said, you know, Jay, there's not many times you get a 225-pound kid that's a legitimate running back. He goes, I've also learned you can't be average at running back. And so we would have, with him in the fold, it would give us five legitimate guys to run the football. And so. Are there enough touches? That, that's well, and, 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 and that's it. You know, you're looking at obviously Quay Holmes and Jacob Sailors have been the two guys that have been doing it. Bryson Irby's unbelievable. And he's another guy that I'm just telling you is going to, he's going to wow some people at what he can do. Um, and then. Trey Foster's another one I think that has shown some glimpses that, that he can do some stuff with football. And then Charlie Cole adds to the mix. And, again, they really don't have a fullback because Juwan Martin left. So they put Jay Frierson there some. And uh, Big Jay was a running back in high, uh, high school. You know, I think he, they probably like him better at the tight end. But that doesn't mean they won't do some H-back stuff with him, right? So he's sort of a, a tight end that comes in motion be a glorified fullback or, or, you know, may line him up at fullback on a few plays. But it wouldn't shock me if, if – you know, it in a situation where maybe Charlie does a little bit of that as well. Maybe he's a little fullback, maybe get some tailback touches. But Coach made it perfectly clear that he will get a, every opportunity to carry the football in the running back role. Those stats he talked about, I think he ended his career with 3,700 yards. He was going into his senior year, and was 3,500 broke his arm. Yeah, had a nasty injury. And came back for the playoff game. Ridiculous! Like finds the ways to impact the game, but 3,700 yards, I believe, is where he ended up. Still, not too bad. Against Science Hill's junior year, 321 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, anytime you're talking about someone getting north of 200 and then going down to 300 and scoring three times, pretty absurd. Uh, I wonder if this is the chance. And I hate to hammer home the same point every time we talk about running backs because Gary Downs' group is loaded. Do you just move Jacob Sailors to a slot position? Are you asking me or are you asking the staff? Because if you're asking me, I'm all on board. Right. I don't think I get a vote. Yeah, and, and I don't either. And I just you got to have your best players on the field, and Jacob Sailors has proven to be someone that can do a lot of things for you. And so do you just give it a shot and try and work as many touches to those three now or four if you want to throw in Bryce and Irby as you can because Sailors can – catch the ball, it seems like, you know, and if it's not something that he is most proficient in right now, he's going to have maybe more chances to do so, you know, if they go this route, and maybe Charlie Cole's the push that they need to do that, but you just have to have your guys, you know, on the field that you want to get the ball, and if you can design some things and still give it to him out of the back every once in a while, even just do some things where he's in the slot, and, you know, those quick jet handoffs that you, that you can do off end, you know, with a guy in motion, there's a lot of different things you can do, it's got to be exciting to I know Randy Sanders hasn't been thrilled with the pass catchers that he's been able to bring in and that the Bucks have had since he's been here, but there are a lot of different ways, it seems like, to design things around getting the ball to your best players, and especially with some of the things that we see on a week-in, week-out basis in college and the NFL that, that are very new uh, to the game or reintroduced to the game or you know, are, are, I think, making strides and improving the game offensively. And with everything ETSU has in the backfield, uh, there's certainly some things that are getting the gears moving for that coaching staff. Well, and, you know, let's, the, the deepest position going into this year was tight end. They got five, and I understand, and there's a lot of reasons why. 
you know, you need some, some tight ends. And they did a good job of rotating guys in last year. You know, I mean, heck, we saw Cole West take direct snaps at some point last year um, because he's a former quarterback tight end. We saw Jay Frierson catch passes. Nate Atkins clearly caught passes. Pearson caught passes. I mean, so there's a, a lot of guys that, that they were able to ro- rotate through in. And, you know, running back, let's be honest, let's say you've been lucky not to have really any injuries, but if one or two things get banged up, you know, if you had – three, four, not much of a drop-off. I mean, certainly an advantage uh, to where it is. And I think, obviously, we all know it, that Quay's the lead guy and is going to be the lead guy. But number two, you know, could, could be Sailors for a change, change of pace back. Irby's a lot like Holmes, built like him. Russell. And then Cole's even bigger than Holmes. I mean, Holmes is 205, 210. You know, you're talking about a pure 15 pounds, heavier already, and again, um, built to sort of carry the football. So, I think it'll be – I mean, I would be shocked – if you don't see a lot of some two tight ends, one back or one tight end, two backs, um, you know, not really the four wide receiver, you know, one back. And there will be some three wide receivers. I mean, that's just because Brandy likes to switch things up and gets different personnel on to get matchups. But it wouldn't shock me in a lot of situations when it gets down to, okay, third and four, instead of throwing the ball, they go two tights and, you know, here we go downhill run and see what happens. What's your conversation like with Randy? Well, I asked him about, because obviously they're addressing, and some of the guys that they're hoping to bring in, uh, one would be a, a D-tackle nose guard. The other one would be a center. And they think they're maybe just missing a center. They've got some guys that practice at, at snapping the football, but they really want them to play other positions. And so that's the, the reason why they're trying to get a, a, a transfer in to play center. And so that way they can put Tavon Matthews back at a guard. They can leave shorts at a guard. you got Big Fred out there at one tackle, Fred Norman. Then you would probably have Blake Austin, one of the guys you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, is, is probably going to fight uh, Casey Setsicorn for who's going to be the other guard or tackle, excuse me, on the outside. So they feel pretty good about all that. They really want to bring in a guy that's been snapping the football for years and, and have him do that. The other question was I was like, I feel like, you know, out of all the positions besides nose guard, you're light at receiver. And he had an interesting take. He goes, you know, there's a lot of great – um, receivers out there, and, and I can't name names, but he did. He named two or three guys that they were looking at. Named a local guy, named a guy in state, named a guy out of Florida. I mean, he's rolling. I'm trying to write down notes. So I can look all these people up, so I'm somewhat familiar. Couldn't keep up, and so he's. He said, but here's here's the issue: is that's a position that there's so many good players out there already, and because of this new rule, everybody's redshirted. Everybody doesn't count. You know, bigger schools are going to take other receivers, and they're going to ask quality receivers to go somewhere else. And then the numbers game is going to be a trickle-down. And he said, I think it's going to be the best trickle-down of all the positions will be at wide receiver, and we are holding a lot of scholarships because we want to see sort of how that, that goes and can we get a higher-level receiver that has already had some FBS work and weight room and other things that are more ready to step in and play. So that helps explain a lot of why there's just two right now, holding a lot of scholarships for whatever may happen, but especially in certain positions. And it's a, think about this. With, with uh, Keith Coffey entering the transfer portal, he was the only senior on the team that would have been gone next year. So you get all your running backs back, and considering this year doesn't count, you could have homes for this spring. Well, and the offense. On the offense, on the offense. You would have him for 
this spring it doesn't count, and then two more years. You have same with Sailors. You have Irby's freshman. You have Nate Atkins for three more. You have all these guys for a couple more years um, on offense, and Keith Coffey was the only senior. So you could, you know, if you like everybody and everybody's happy and wants to come on back, you can absolutely bring everybody back. So the one position that you're probably looking at with the five running backs, now four quarterbacks, now five tight ends, now with a center, probably the deepest offensive line they had um, since three years ago, the only other position to fill is wide receiver on the offensive end. Now, on the defensive end, you know, they still got some tackle issues. What would the linebacker situation be? I think the secondary still probably pretty solid. You know, if Robinson stays healthy. Um, Quan Smith out there added to the to the list with uh, Karan DeLentz one more year. I mean, I think the secondary is still there. So, but that's that's sort of my take. And, and interesting that, you know, for those that are kind of worried, what about the playmaker on the receiver side? They, there will be there will be plenty in February or uh, just past February. So again, it's odd because there's a, that three you know week sign period. And the other thing is a lot of the counterparts have already signed other people. And he said that's nothing. He said think about this: all the other teams in the league have signed 12, 13, 14 guys. And are they going to keep all the other guys? Well, unless they start kicking a bunch of people off the team or not doing whatever, he said you know we're going to be. A, good spot to see what's out there so he's playing an interesting waiting game on the offensive end for sure two months and two days till kickoff 2020 slash 2021 still 2020 season i guess so it's gonna be in 2021 i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna go well i guess it's spring 2021 spring 2021 season. Yeah. two months all right here we go. Two days. cowboy up go play ball tom brady won't make that mistake again antonio brown to tampa Absolutely not gonna happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Count it! Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. Lake Forest, LOL. Steve Ford most certainly will be back in the blue and gold. Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during quarantine. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. A simple wrong would have done just fine. Too right for you, too right for me, and lots of wrongs. Wrongs, wrongs, wrongs. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. Wrong. 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 Lots of right this week, I hope. BTSU women's basketball in action. BTSU men's basketball in action, and I always like to throw in one other bowl prediction, but I'm going to go women's, men's, and off the board with one other. Do I start? No, I do not. Okay, and you're the defending champion. What do you got? What do you got? BTSU women's basketball facing two scores, as we mentioned, in the next two games, averaging 22 points per game. Priest Stanley for Appalachian State, Chloe Welch for Davidson. I say neither will get to 15. I don't think that would be hot or bold if I said it for one. I think if I say it for both, that's bold. Your thoughts? I gotta go. At bold. Okay. Well, okay. I think you gotta go both. <laughs> you gotta. Go, I think one, you get one accidental game. You, okay. you just exactly. take both out. Then, both. Okay. Yeah, you need solid there. So, I, I, the the one I was most convinced this week I was going to take, and I almost waffled away from. I'm gonna stay with it. This is this is the one I was thinking about not doing. Sunday, women's basketball, double digit win. Go. Mm, I like it. I like it. Well. It's, and it, it's only because, again, you can look all across, and I will use this as an example, although it's NFL, it's not, you know, it's a different sport, but no matter what New England does when they go down to Miami, right, they were 14-2 and two, two or three times 
and one of those two losses was always in Miami. Like, some teams just beat a team, and I just feel like for whatever reason, women's basketball, through all the years that I can kind of remember, it seems like ETSU always had Appalachian State women's basketball number. It may not be true. Maybe I've overdid it in my head, but it just feels that way no matter how good or bad ETSU women's basketball is. They always seem to beat Appalachian State. That's just my take. Here's where I think you're getting it from. Firstly, they've won three in a row, so they haven't won. So modern history is skewing, maybe. But you look back to when you were calling women's basketball. Were you calling it 2004, 2005? Yes. Okay. They won four of five in those two years. Then back to your time just after being a student. And actually, towards the tail end of you being a student, they won seven of eight from 1998 to 2000. Yeah, so, so it's certainly periods of time where you're paying attention. Now, there have been some losses, and Appalachian State – Sure, I haven't been undefeated the whole time. No, but I just was, felt like they all they usually win more than they lost. And it wouldn't be a good rivalry if ETSU beat them every time. They lead the all-time series, uh, or Appalachian State leads the all-time series, I should say, 44-38. to 38. A lot of that coming from really the pockets where, um, you know, you had some down years for ETSU. 2010-11-12, tail end of the late great Karen Kemp. A um, few losses there. Then 14-15-16, you know, Brittany Zell turning around the program. Tiana Tarter coming in, a couple losses there, but three wins in a row, and they did beat Appalachian State by 31 two years ago, which is strange because Appalachian State went on and won the women's basketball invitation. The last year it was six, the year before it was 13. I still do think, considering sitting here right now, you're not sure what you're going to get from the Bucks today against Davidson, lost by 30 to Presbyterian. I still do think that that is bold. Um, I may feel differently, and like I said, I think the Bucks have a chance to win both of these games. I may feel differently come of this Davidson game uh, should the Bucks come out with a solid effort. But as of right now, we're sitting here. We don't have the result. Bold. ETSU men's basketball are going to break 100 versus Lee. Is that bold? They came close last night. And the truth is, Lee would be a step up in competition because break it 100. So put it down. Okay. Right in the book. Chalk it up. Okay. Another W. So on Saturday, right in the Southern Conference men's basketball, there's one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven games. Now, granted, ETSU and Mercer play non-D1, so I can I can wash that out if you want to go in. What I'm going to say is four wins of the five D1 versus D1. My only loss is going to be Chattanooga because I can't pull for them to win no matter what. All right, give, give me the games here. Okay, so Citadel's going to go to Longwood and win. Oof. Citadel, by the way, if they do that and then beat Presbyterian. 7-0 start at Kevin Brown call. That's amazing. Best in the history of, well, I should say modern history of the program. Okay. The next one is UNCG at an undefeated Elon. Okay. UNCG scuffling a bit through some of the non-conference. Right. Okay. And, and that's, you know, that that's a game that they're probably 15 minutes apart campus-wise, too. Chattanooga, you know, is 7-0. I don't know if you know that. They're taking on UAB 7-0, but I just can't pull for Chattanooga to win. So that's going to be my only <laughs> loss. I, just, I, just, I, I, can't I was going to call you out for not having 5-5, five five, but now it. I do understand. I can't. <laughs> humanly impossible. I'm sorry. I can't do it. Furman's going to go to Winthrop and win. Wow. And then the last one, which I think is going to be the most interesting matchup because two teams that have played better than what people have thought. Kennesaw State is 3-3 three and three and perfect at home so far. And Sanford has struggled at home but been good on the road. Bucky ball. They are two and three. I say that they're one and two on the road. They've been great on the road, Aaron Mike Gallagher. As they should have beat Georgia, they did beat Belmont. They're going to beat Kennesaw State. So four of the five SoCon D1-D1 matchups. And if I'm not mistaken, 
Uh, all are on the road, right? Yes. All five teams are on the road. Now, so that would be four road wins, too. If Chattanooga wins, are you counting that towards four or five, even though you're saying unequivocally you're not going for that to happen? Yes, I'm going to take care for the four or five. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just telling you which one of the four. I'm telling you which four I think are going to win, but I'm, I'm calling for four to five. And to be honest, I think Chattanooga has the least amount of chance. By the way, that Furman Winthrop game is going to be really good. I, I, you know, it's there's a, honestly, there's a couple of interesting ones. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how Greensboro responds because they've been kind of up and down. They've had trouble shooting the ball, similar to ETSU. I'm curious how they do. Citadel's always interesting to kind of figure out. I'm not going to watch that one just because I don't really like watching Citadel play. Furman Winthrop is the best matchup. And then, honestly, Kennesaw State has turned some heads because they generally only have three wins for the whole year and have three wins early. And then for Sanford, Buckyball, the press, 94 feet for – as much as they can, it will be it'll be interesting. Now they do have a, a common opponent as Belmont did beat Kennesaw State 64-53, but that was definitely not a blowout. And Kennesaw State's also lost to Creighton and UAB. So there's their three losses. We give no credit to Chattanooga around here. If they beat UAB, then they'll have my attention. They don't have my attention. Looking at their schedule again. Got probably more uh, quality. They, if, if they walk in the Bartow Arena and win, I think they deserve everybody's attention. Absolutely. As much as I would not give credit where credit's due, you would have to tip your cap and go, okay, there's just like Mercer, who we kind of thought had a chance to make noise. Western's trying to make some noise. Certainly, I believe you could look at a situation where you would have to put Chattanooga in that category at that point. I'm riding with Patty Fitzgerald and the Northwestern Wildcats. Neutral site, Big Ten Championship. Oh, 21-point underdogs, the Wildcats. So that's funny. I was going uh, Kyle Trask and the Gators okay. over Alabama. Okay. Well, we got some takes. That we do. It is bold on bold predictions. Uh, so I'll we're back Monday. I would, I, would, I would also like to put a disclaimer. Please uh, don't uh, use any of these in any uh, – <laughs> Now that it is legal in the state of Tennessee, please don't ever use this. And any At least don't fashion. cite us for the reason yes. that you are. And if you ever did, please don't send any hate mail because we spent 13 seconds thinking about this before we said it. Oh, we can do Monday no mailbag if there's hate mail. That's good. Monday, Monday mailbag. Send your hate mail if you do have some because Monday mailbag will be fun with nothing but hate. All right, we'll be back to talk about my three bold prediction wins. Mike's three. Oh, actually, uh, he'll get one right. I think the women's basketball is going to be right. I, I don't, I don't know if the men can get to 100. I don't know if they can get to 100. But I've got to go there. All right. We'll talk about that. Uh, a lot of basketball coverage starting Monday. Sanderson, the sidekick. Cowboy up and go play ball.